Are you still chasing down AR from this tax season? Are you struggling to move your practice to a monthly recurring revenue model? With Practice Ignition, you can easily manage your client engagement letters and collect ACH or credit card payments all in one place. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Practice Ignition, later in the episode. It shows you how the incentives of the firm, which is to maximize using your staff so that you can make as much money as possible, doesn't align with the goals of the profession, which is we need to produce more CPAs to stay relevant. I mean, this could be an opportunity for firm owners. If you could guarantee your new hire, you're going to be able to carve out X numbers of hours a week for them to study for the CPA exam and pursue that dream. It might be easier for you to hire somebody than a firm that's not going to allow them to carve out that time. Today is Monday, June 21st. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. David, you're back from New York. Back from New York. I've returned to 110, 111, 112, 114, 130, whatever, whatever the temperature is. Once you get over 110, it doesn't really matter anymore because it's just surface of the sun hot. My pool was 91 this weekend. 91, my pool. Um, and then I leave again today. Where are you headed? We are almost back to post-pandemic normal. I'm going to Las Vegas this evening for the BKX conference, which is you know bookkeepers.com. Mm-hmm. So they have a conference. It's for two, uh, two days, three days up in Vegas. I'm looking forward to that. And those of you who are listening, if you're going to be at the conference, if you track me down, show me that you subscribe to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I have some, I have some, I'm bringing 60 or 70 shirts with me. You should be able to get a free shirt. That's great. So tell me more about bookkeepers.com. I mean, if you're on Facebook at all, you've probably seen ads on like any taxi driver could be a bookkeeper, right? And there's all these training things out there to train Mm. people. It's very hot, right? We're one of the hottest because you can do it remote, right? Like a lot of people are entering the bookkeeping field. Good wages. You can do it remotely. There's a lot of demand and you can learn it without having to go back to school. Yeah. And I don't want to say legitimate, illegitimate, et cetera, but bookkeepers.com has been around a little bit longer. Um, I've worked with bookkeepers that have gone through their program. It's a minor thing from a reputation standpoint. It's, it's more complete. It's not like, it's really about getting people trained as a bookkeeper to open their own bookkeeping practice. I've noticed like almost all of them have their own domain. Mm-hmm. Like they're not using Gmail addresses. Like everybody goes through, spins up a domain. Sometimes it's in a niche, right? Mm-hmm. And they, 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 they get to enter it. Maybe, Really, let's say like you fell into bookkeeping. Like, well, actually, this would be perfect for you, right? Remember you kind of fell into becoming the treasurer or something like that? Yeah, yeah. At a theater. And then after that, it turned you. So imagine if you could have went to bookkeepers.com, took a course, and got trained on everything you need to do to spin up your bookkeeping business. And you just didn't do it from scratch. It probably would have been a lot faster. And I would not have made so many mistakes, hopefully. And so that's the the group. It's only bookkeepers. There's no accountants. There's no CPAs that are going to be at this conference. It's just bookkeepers and to some extent, newer bookkeepers that are really just getting off the ground running. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. This is the uh, things are feeling a little bit back to normal. I get to see a few people that, you know, we have our groups of friends that we only see at conferences and some of <laughs> yeah, them yeah, will be yeah. at this conference. I'm, very, I'm looking very forward to this today, tonight, tomorrow, next couple of days. And then we come back and three weeks later, there's accounting salon and AICPA engage. I mean, we're, yep. we, we, we've flipped right back into normal old summer conference season, just like that. In a blink of an eye, it happened. Well, a little, a little abbreviated. I, I remember back in the, uh, the pre-COVID days and the before times when we had a spring conference season 
four or five weeks of just straight events. And then we have a fall one as well. So, you know, we're, we're getting back to normal, but you know, let's not exaggerate this. Like three or four events is not a dozen events. I, I was actually kind of surprised that I, well, I guess not. I think the, the people who organize these events got a little, um, you know, shell shocked or something or, or <laughs> because they had to postpone a lot of them, like, and then cancel them finally, you know, two or three times. So everybody was really hesitant about getting back into it in the fall, even though now it looks like, Hey, Vegas is wide open, right? It's interesting though, that you mentioned that in New York, people are still wearing masks everywhere. I guess it's still part of the rule, right? But they're dropping that really soon, aren't they? Uh, um, you could walk into restaurants without a mask. Um, yeah. I feel like th- that was okay. And sometimes different stores, depending on, depending on what you were doing, you might have to have a mask or not. But my understanding, the vibe from New Yorkers is everybody's going to still wear masks on the subway. I think people... I, I think they should just have that rule forever. <laughs> the subway is disgusting. <laughs> you actually look at the like airflow in those subways. You, you, you really just... We should just always wear masks on, on subway transportation. There's not enough airflow. <laughs> But the, the but uh, the uh, airports, you know, traveling all the airports, you have yeah. to wear a mask. You have to wear a mask when you're uh, um, on the flight. Obviously, I, I might just wear a mask when I'm traveling from now on because I used to get sick all the time traveling, and I think it was really like being in the airport, like it was what did it. But probably also just like shaking everybody's hand at conferences. But I can't give that up. Give hugs instead. And then you, <laughs> then, hugs, you're safe. You're safer with the hug. Well, then it's just your um, skin on like their clothing. It's not skin to skin. I don't know. Well, it's a well, chance we take for freedom. You know, well, David, free. to get to the news, uh, we can talk about two groups that aren't exactly hugging right now. The IMA, the Institute of Management Accountants, and the AICPA and NASBA aren't exactly getting along about the future of accounting education. That's according to an article in Going Concern. The headline is, the IMA is beefing with the AICPA and NASBA over the future of accounting education. And this is all about the new CPA Evolution Model Curriculum, CPA EMC, which the Journal of Accountancy describes as, quote, a recommended blueprint for an accounting program designed to help educators prepare graduates for the changing demands of the CPA profession, unquote. Listeners of the show will, of course, know that we've been uh, talking about this for a while and the need for the accounting curriculum. Because I think they've also been, they've been working on this. There was a open calls, right, for the design. They, they've been, it's not like something that just, got sprung on the IMA out of like a surprise and now they're paying attention. I don't understand where did they not give feedback in the feedback rounds? So what has happened up to this point has been feedback and just overall structural uh, uh, thinking. So no detailed curriculum. And what has been released here is an outline, a detailed outline of the recommended curriculum, given the changes that are happening with the CPA exam and to refresh, the big change is that they're infusing technology into the entire curriculum and also setting it up so that you can specialize more. You don't have to do everything. You can take a version of the exam that is targeted to what you're interested in. And it's broken into three areas. And this is that. So they've had that image they've been using where it has the big core in the center and it says accounting, audit, tax, and technology. And then there's the, the the three spokes, if you want to say, that go out to the wheel. And you have business analysis and reporting. You have information systems and controls. And then uh, tax compliance and planning. Exactly. So so so, so they've, that image, I feel like they released 
months and months and months ago. So now they've moved on from just having the image of the general direction to having specifics on all of this. these Correct. spokes and wheel. Okay. And, and that's what the IMA is concerned about. So let, let me just read their press release from June 9th, in which they basically express concerns about the noticeable lack of management accounting content. In light of proposed changes from AICPA and NASBA to the curricula for accounting majors that pursue a CPA track, the CPA evolution model, IMA has provided feedback regarding the proposal in a new IMA briefing. The briefing expresses IMA's concerns regarding the negative impact dropping managerial slash cost accounting from the required curriculum for CPAs proposed in the CPA evolution model will have on the ability of the accounting profession to protect the public and serve the public interest. The challenges that CPAs will have to answer important cost-based questions will only increase as technology transforms business models and the CPA profession. The ability of the CPA to serve as a trusted business advisor must include an effective grasp of cost systems, behavior, and causality, which can only be most directly gained in management accounting courses. So basically, the IMA is concerned that management accounting or cost accounting is getting dropped or shrunk in the new curriculum to make room for this other stuff. So doesn't that just fall under business analysis and reporting? I, like It feels like they have a one-third of the wheel already. So they're feeling that they're not getting one-third of the wheel. But here's the thing I don't understand. So the IMA is upset that management accounting is getting dropped from the curriculum. But like, doesn't that give the IMA something more to offer its members? Like They could offer them the education in management accounting that the CPA curriculum isn't. Uh, it, it's 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 almost like now you could argue right now okay you didn't you didn't learn the management accounting stuff the cost accounting stuff during your traditional education join the IMA and we'll teach it to you and you can get certified because the problem we have right now you you're an accounting student you go to become a CPA you learned all these cost control things right how to do it with pen and paper right in a GL but you have none of the information systems and controls and data system learnings. So then we live in a world where all that data is locked up in systems. And if you don't understand how these systems work and how to get it out, what good is your cost control training? Yeah, yeah. Cost of management accounting, cost accounting. Yeah, <laughs> You really need to know the information systems. Not everybody. I mean, this is the problem with the education we have right now in accounting is it's so broad. Like everybody learns a little bit of everything and then they're basically ignorant of most things and you have to learn it on the job. So by making people a little more specialized, then hopefully we can give them a, a better running start, I think is the idea. And I support that. I I, I just, I did my accounting um, coursework less than 10 years ago, you know, cause I'm a career changer and it was pretty darn broad and super theoretical. And the only reason that I knew anything about information systems is because I was building a business at the same time where we did accounting systems. So I could practice what I was learning in real life. But most students don't get that. And I think it it's really detrimental because it's one thing to do something in theory. It's another thing to do it in practice. This also could just be, you know, the IMA upset that they've been working on something on their own. They've been uh, modifying its own management account, uh, its management accounting competency framework as well. Mm -hmm. And they've been adding more technology stuff to their own. So maybe they feel this is an overlap. And like they're probably also looking at, hey, we just did all this work. Now you're going to offer them technology, which now makes the work we just did not so great. Yeah. Well, it's hard for the IMA to have influence on education when basically all of the accounting programs in universities are targeted toward people taking the CPA exam because that's still 
way bigger than the IMA and the right the AICPA CPAs the CPA license is still many times larger than IMA which makes sense because most people still want to take that traditional career path where you go into public accounting first and then you either stay there or you jump over into um, industry. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Xero? Or do you have a client that is still in QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. So we're talking about the CPA exam. We could also talk about why people don't take the CPA exam, what keeps them from doing it or pursuing it and why they give up. We can talk about that. When you say give up, like they, they take two of the modules and they just stop or what do you mean by that? It's not exactly clear when they give up, but, but this is a survey by the Illinois CPA Society and it's a, in a report. And the report is called A CPA Pipeline Report Decoding the Decline. And they're trying to get to the answer for the question, why are we not producing enough CPAs? There's a talent shortage. It's because we have a pipeline problem. There's not enough students going into accounting. And then of the ones who take accounting, not enough for taking the CPA exam and becoming CPAs. So why is that? They surveyed over 3,000 respondents. It was geared towards accounting students, graduates, and professionals under the age of 35, including both CPAs and non-CPAs. So the part I'm interested in most is the young professionals' reasons for not pursuing the CPA license. There's like 12% who said they're not going to go get the CPA. And the reasons are interesting. The number one reason of the people who started but didn't finish is workload time commitment. Over 60% of those who, who started but didn't finish said that they don't have enough time because of their job which is just like sad, <laughs> right? If you're, if you're working in a CPA firm and you are so loaded up on work that you don't have time to go get your CPA, that is super short-sighted of our profession. It shows you how the incentives of the firm, which is to maximize using your staff so that you can make as much money as possible, doesn't align with the goals of the profession, which is we need to produce more CPAs to stay relevant. I mean, this could be an opportunity for firm owners, because I know right now we talked about this uh, last week, two weeks ago with Liz Mason, like everybody's struggling to hire. Mm -hmm. right? If you could guarantee your new hire, you're going to be able to carve out X numbers of hours a week for them to study for the CPA exam and pursue that dream. It might be easier for you to hire somebody than a firm that's not going to allow them to carve out that time. Exactly. Make that a selling point of your firm. So the second reason, the second biggest reason why people started but didn't finish is personal time commitment, that they have personal things in their life that don't allow them to have time. That could be family. That could just be like, I want to have a life outside of work. The third 
biggest reason that they start but didn't finish is doesn't see the value slash relevance. And that was over 30%, almost a third of students or young professionals who start but don't finish the CPA say it's because they don't see the value. I've got one more stat here that's interesting. So of the folks who didn't start and don't plan to, so these are people who never even went down the path. It's a, it's a different uh, reason why they didn't do it. It's not because they don't have time. It's because they want other credentials. And that's almost 30%. Almost 30% of those who didn't start and don't plan to decide they don't want the CPA. They want something else. So I'm sitting around. I'm like, all right, I could get a CPA. I get an MBA. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And a third of those people are like, I don't want CPA. I'll just get something else instead. Maybe I'll go get the CMA that the IMA offers because it's more relevant to what I want to do. Or maybe I'll go get some uh, IT certification or so they're just not seeing the so, value. So, so, exactly. I was going to say it ties yeah. right back to the value. So you have 20% of the people that start on the process, start on the process and say, forget it. I don't see the value. And then basically you have 30% that don't even start. Yep. Okay. So that, that's, and we've talked about this before, like the value of those letters, right? And you've argued, yes, they're very valuable, but at the same time, are they? And that's the thing. You have to do this cost-benefit analysis. I mean, if you're a, if you really want to be an accountant, <laughs> you should about your own career. And you look at how long it takes to get the CPA, the extra education you have to get, the cost of the exam, the, t- the time it takes. And you're talking like years of your life, a year, at least a year to go through all the exams and then a year of extra education at least. So two years there. If you could go get something else that pays you just as much or more and doesn't require that much time, wouldn't why wouldn't you? So that's what we're competing against as a profession is all those other options that are out there. Uh, and I'm really curious. I would love to hear from our listeners, those who have gotten the CPA, those who are thinking about it, like what, especially those who did not do it. What are the reasons that you didn't do it? Maybe you started, you didn't finish. Maybe you didn't start because of a reason I I would love to know. And you can tell us by calling our voicemail number. That number is 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. Go straight to voicemail, leave us a message, let us know what you think about this or any other topic on the show. And I'm excited to say we have another voicemail from a listener this week. So should I go ahead and play that now? Let's jump in. Hi, David and Blake. This is Chris, and greetings from the island of Guam. We're known as the island where America's day begins. While everyone else praises you guys for your podcast, I wanted to share a few complaints that I hope you will find constructive. First, you guys only do a podcast once a week when you guys know that your audience wants more of your amazing content. Second, your weekly podcast is less than an hour long. Well, we need at least double the, the amount of your charm and insight. You guys always leave me needing more. And third, although my podcast here allows you to fast forward to the commercials, you guys advertise all these cool apps and services, and I find myself listening to every second of every commercial you play. All kidding aside, your podcast is the best, hands down. I can't wait till I see you guys in person at a conference, hopefully this year. Cheers from Guam. Bye-bye. That's amazing. That's Chris from Guam. Thank you, Chris, for calling in, and thank you for that feedback. We're going to try and do better, Chris. I think we're going to we're going to go to 2 hour recording sessions. This is going to wreck havoc on David's schedule, but you know, we'll figure out how to make it work. 
it's funny, you know, if we look back when Blake and I started, we were worried, like, will we ever have 20 minutes of accounting news a week to talk about? And now filling an hour is nothing. We probably could go two hours, but then it just becomes at what point will people, <laughs> obviously, be, some listeners become, might want us to do it, but. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate that feedback. And again, if any of our other listeners would like to give us a call and let us know what they think, 202-695-1040, or you can write a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Practice Ignition. Are you still chasing down AR from this tax season? Are you struggling to move your practice to a monthly recurring revenue model? With Practice Ignition, you can easily manage your client engagement letters and collect ACH or credit card payments all in one place. Streamline your sales process and upsell your services by allowing your clients to choose from up to three proposal options. Once they choose their desired proposal, the clients select their preferred pricing option, enter their payment details, and sign all in one place. With Practice Ignition, you can set up automatic payments from your clients on any billing schedule imaginable. Monthly recurring, annual, quarterly, weekly, hourly, even variable unit-based billing for volume-based services. To learn more how Practice Ignition can help your firm eliminate accounts receivable and for 50% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash PI. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash PI. Practice Ignition, online payments designed for CPA firms. I have a quick update on SPACs. I know you've been tracking that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We talked a lot last week about SPACs. So there's you know been some changes and it kind of it slowed everything down. They they almost came to a halt because the SEC pushed back a little bit on some of these because they were they were happening too fast. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. But they're saying it's starting to spin up a little bit. And what you're gonna see is you're gonna see SPACs that are a little bit more calm or more thought out, more deliberate a little less chaotic and it feels like a lot of these SPACs are inventing it as they go. And they're calling it, they're calling it, let's say they're calling it version 4.0 of SPACs. So we should see uh, more measured, mature SPAC offerings as they move forward with this because nobody wants to have to restate numbers, um, go back and recalculate things. You know, there's agreement on how um, certain things should be uh, put on the uh, balance sheet as liabilities. So, so we're going to see more SPACs kind of coming, but it's going to be a little bit more measured and uh, not so chaotic. Well, I hope so, because have you heard about Lordstown Motors? This is like the poster boy for bad SPACs right now. No, what's happening with that? So this is that electric truck company that took over a, I think it was a GM plant in Ohio and are going to produce or say that they are going to produce by the end of the year, a brand new electric truck under the brand Lordstown which is named for the factory. And they went public in a SPAC. And after going through the SPAC and raising a bunch of money, it came to light that the company had overinflated the both validity and number of its pre-orders. And these are pre-orders that didn't really exist, like from people who didn't really have the capability to buy. They apparently paid some organization to go out and find them a thousand pre-orders. They're like influencers on social media who had made pre-orders that it's just all podcast hosts. It, it's just fake. And <laughs> podcast hosts. So the CEO, I think it was the CEO and the CFO resigned. And then another story just came out saying that 
a bunch of their top executives had sold stock prior to their financials coming out. And uh, they did that in February. So basically, they did the SPAC, they got a bunch of money, and then all these executives cashed out millions of dollars of stock. One of its executives, Chan John Vo, who oversees Lordstown Motors Propulsion Division. So this is the guy in charge of the electric nature of these trucks. He sold almost all of his vested equity, 99.3% on February 2nd, leaving him with 717 shares and proceeds of more than 2.5 million. Does that, is that a good look? That the guy in charge of the actual electric propulsion system in the truck sold virtually all of his stock prior to their first public filing as a listed company in mid-March, their their year-end results. And of course, their stock has tanked. Yeah. So <laughs> like this is not a good look for specs. Yeah, because the standard route, right, of an IPO, some this eventually uh, on a standard timeline for an IPO. The fact that those thousand customers maybe were not real would have probably surfaced before they had an IPO and the whole thing probably would have got scrapped or pulled off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like with, but when you with, do a spec, you bypass this natural vetting process Yeah, that's in the market and then yeah, people can't find – they don't know until that first quarter results come out. And then, by, But if, they, if people make moves before that – before they ever release their first quarter results, there's a, a window of 90 days for foolery to take place. This is the problem with specs. There's not enough transparency. Like we work, the IPO got torpedoed, and that is a success story. That is a regulatory success story. The markets functioned, the researchers figured out this was not a good deal, and, it, and the, the IPO failed. With Lordstown, they were able to bypass all of that scrutiny by doing the spec. They were able to take all the money, then put out crappy results and cash out before they did that. Uh, it's just, it's all a big fraud. Well, I can't, I can't say that definitively, but it certainly looks bad. It looks like this is just, you know, another Theranos. I, 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 I really doubt this company is ever going to produce a single truck. I wonder if it's just SPACs. It's not saying that all the companies using SPACs as a way to get to market, but I wonder if it's just another easier vehicle to, if you do want to commit some sort of fraudulent game with investors, yeah. It, this is just an, another vehicle to do it in a much easier fashion. I think so. Yeah, I think there's a good chance of that. And so you see bad actors taking advantage of it. You want to get into app news? Yeah, let's jump in. So I got the most wild David Barrett Expensify email. We love these emails, David. Do we not? They are so much fun to get. And I got to give him credit. There's not a lot of emails that I get from developers and software companies where I eagerly await it and I read the whole thing and it's like a thousand words. And they're long. Yes. It's not, it's not fluff. Yeah. It's not a marketing piece. He just went to a coffee shop somewhere, put in his headphones and re- hammered out a 1500 word email. Oh right? yeah. And, and he's a great writer. It's, it's very, it's very, it's very well-written, you know, it and, feels and, like and, he's and, talking to us. And he always likes to give the reasons for the decisions, which is always kind of nice. You get to kind of see the gears turning in, in, in Dave's brain. But you said you noticed something in this latest email that kind of maybe even slipped by if you didn't read it fully. Exactly. Which is, so I'm glad I read them. So that the headline or the subject line of the email is about Expensify.cash, which is this chat-based payment network that Expensify is building to compete with, where it seems like they will compete with um, uh, Cash App and what's the Venmo. other one? Venmo. Okay. Yeah. And it's going to be an open source payment network. So the idea is that we're all going to be able to just chat each other money. It's the it, it, it's all part of David Barrett's 
philosophy that every payment is a conversation, which I got to say, that's pretty cool. Except for I think he got that. I think he got that from uh, Dorsey from Twitter. Like, okay. Like well, yeah. whoever came up with it, it's a great idea. And um, so this was the email was about this. But then after he talks about that, like halfway through the email, he says, well, I'll just I'll just read this part of the email to you. In other news, have I mentioned we're launching a new payroll feature built into the standard Expensify price? Just like invoicing and bill payment, our new payroll feature works exactly like everything else. After all, a paycheck is little more than an expense report submitted twice a month, plus a bunch of tax junk on top of that. We're still getting the correct money transmission licensing in all 50 states, so we can only offer it in about 33 states right now. If the idea of managing all your employee expenses, corporate cards, reimbursements, and now payroll, with a single tool as your cup of tea, please let us know which states you operate in, and we'll let you know when we can support you. Expensify is building payroll. That, that was, talk about burying the lead, right? They, I had not heard about this. I, this was not public as far as I know. And if it was, I missed it. And so I immediately screenshotted that email and posted it on Twitter because I'm like, this is big news. This is crazy. Uh, Expensify traditionally partners with payroll companies too. So I'm thinking about all the different competitive angles and is this going to create problems for those integrations if Expensify is going into the same turf as Gusto or ADP or Paychex? when I need all that expense reporting stuff to, to work. It's interesting. I, I, I suspect they're not building this from scratch. And they're probably using, and we've talked about the, these new uh, a payroll API platforms that have started popping up, like Check, right? CheckHQ.com. And essentially, uh, they took that big investment from Stripe. And, and so in theory, just through API calls, you can, you, you can basically have payroll as a service. And so you can build the front end. In this case, right. it sounds like, uh, Expensify is going to build the front end into their chat app for a payroll product. But you, I, I suspect over the next 24 months, we are going to see lots of apps just have payroll built in. You're, like Every app is going to have its own bank account built in and every app is going to have its own payroll built in. Like If I was the Gustos and the um, ADPs and the Intuit payrolls, um, you know, the OnPays and the Ripplings, I'd be very scared of this because if, if you can get an app and it has the bank account and the payroll just built in, especially if that app's just going to roll it into the price. Wouldn't you just use the built-in payroll for whatever app you're using? If you have some niche niche app for a bicycle store, if payroll's just built in, just use it. So I agree with you on the first part of what you said, that basically everybody who can is going to build payroll into their app because of these API payroll services that are being built. The I forget the name of the one that's Stripe invested in, but that's check. It's actually called just check. Oh, check, yeah. check. So, so they're going to figure out how to do the same thing with payroll processing that they did with credit card processing. And so it'll be possible for all these apps to add that. And like you said, that's already happening with bank accounts. There's APIs for bank accounts. Now, the thing I don't agree with is this idea that everybody is going to be able to successfully offer payroll because there is so much more to payroll than just payroll tax and paycheck calculations and sending the money. A lot of it is sorting out what happens when those forms don't get filed properly, the customer service stuff. Just look at Gusto. Payroll's late. I didn't, yeah, I need to do an emergency payroll. I need to stop a payroll. I fired my employee. Like, as soon as you get into anything, it's just messy. It's just, it's it's messy up a level. Like, if you think about Expensify with expense reports, usually, okay, the employee got fired. You have a week, you fill out their last expense report, you, you 
reimburse them and they're done, but it's much different with payroll. And the same reason that Expensify is has done so well with expense reports, I think is the reason that they're going to not do very well with payroll. Just I'm just throwing it out there because you look at Gusto, a company like Gusto, which is growing from a dozen people less than 10 years ago to, I don't even know how many people they have now. They have a lot. And the reason they have a lot is because payroll and benefits and HR and all the stuff that goes along with it is all about customer service and sorting out these issues for people. And it takes a lot of humans to do it. I just looked them up on LinkedIn. They have like 1,500 employees connected to their company account on LinkedIn. So that just shows you how big they are. And Expensify is like 10 times smaller than that. And I think anybody who has used Expensify and tried to go through customer support knows that when you have only a, a you know few hundred people at most working at a, a company that has a global reach like Expensify, you're not going to get very personalized support. It's just not even possible. And they actually brag about that, that they have been able to build a billion dollar company with only like a hundred something people. But, but, but you can do that with expense reports. You can't really do that with, with payroll. And I just want to read some of these tweets in the thread that I started on Twitter. Oh, so these are replies to your, so you, so you saw this line in the email, just to recap, you, you screenshotted it and then you put it up on Twitter and now people are replying to you. And I highlighted the part that I thought was the funniest, which is the way Barrett characterizes payroll. He says, a paycheck is, quote, little more than an expense report plus a bunch of tax junk on top. And I had to post that because I feel like people who know payroll would think that's like ridiculous. Uh, So here's my favorite replies. Ryan Percy said, unfortunately, the tax stuff is what makes it complicated. Caleb Newquist over at Gusto said, A bunch of tax junk equals 100 plus income tax jurisdictions at all. Chris Maxey said, I hope their payroll pricing model is less complicated than, say, their current pricing model. One of my clients is being charged $36 per user, $74 per active user. Brad Garland, CPA, said, time to make a payroll service by accountants for accountants. Megan Valero said, this will be a half-baked disaster. Gusto, as big as it is, still can't figure out it needs to file returns for periods when no payroll is run. Can't wait to see what Expensify messes up. Money on state and local taxes. Matt Wheeler said, 1040s are little more than a paper with lines on it with a bunch of tax junk on top. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, right? So the thing is, and this is what developers, even really, really smart people like David Barrett, miss a lot of times is the human element on top of all of these calculations. You could say that a tax return is just a bunch of calculations. Yeah, sure. But there's the reason that the thing that that makes tax prep like this giant, massive profession and industry is because of all the human stuff. If we were all just computers, we could fill in our own tax returns, but we're not. And that's where payroll gets complicated. And it's, it's, it's when you're doing the benefits and you're linking up the benefits to those payroll tax calculations or the, the paycheck calculations, I should say. And you've got the HR stuff, the onboarding, the offboarding. It's, it's a massive industry. And that's why you've got these big companies like Gusto and Paychex and ADP and you know everyone else in the, all the other payroll processors that you know there's hundreds of them. And it's because it's hard. It takes a lot of people. So uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit hubris that you think that you can just go in and, and do it like that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe it'll be good for like really simple do-it-yourself kind of people. Like I- I've got a new entity. I need to run payroll for my S-Corp. Maybe I could just do it with Expensify. I might give it a try and and report back on it because then at least I can check and make sure there's you know no mistakes. So I've gone on for a while about that. David, you want to 
choose the next story. Yeah, so we could we could talk about uh, new banks, neo banks. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Client Hub. Are your clients creating bottlenecks in your workflow? Typical workflow systems are built for internal teams only and not clients, leaving your team constantly waiting for client responses. Client Hub is the one and only workflow solution with a client collaboration portal that automates client requests for everything you need to complete your work. Client Hub is built by cloud accountants for cloud accountants, and when you adopt Client Hub's unique combination of workflow and client collaboration, magic happens. They guarantee it. Your team will love powerful checklist workflows. Your clients will love the easy-to-use Client Hub web portal and mobile app. Client Hub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. And at the end of three months, if Client Hub hasn't radically improved your productivity, they will refund your money. It's a zero-risk way to remove all your blocked client workflows. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. Uh, yeah, the neobanks, like, I mean, every time it's around, there's more. A couple of notes this week that's a um, little different takes. So American Express is now offering business banking accounts. Okay. So they when they bought Cabbage, Cabbage was already doing this. Got it. So they, see, this is probably related to that then. It's related to that. So they're, it actually says they're they're using the Cabbage one. It's, it's called Cabbage Checking. I'm surprised they didn't rebrand it. It's, it just seems like, you know, American Express business checking would be better than cabbage checking yeah right like if, if you're if, if you're thinking you're a business owner and you're like like it just feels more real well and from cabbage, a brand- cabbage business checking feels just so amateur well from a branding standpoint amex is a premium brand cabbage as a food is a low end product nobody eats cabbage unless they have to right you're thinking like right like sub- substance farm sustenance farmers or something Substance, sustenance, substance. I think. So, do you think this is a way for American Express to have their, you know, lower brand just to test the waters and use cabbage as an experiment place to do experiments? So you're keeping that American Express brand as as the premium offering. Then maybe that's it. And then once they figure it out, then they'll roll it something up into their like premium corporate card or something. But it's very different. Like Amex is business. It's, it's interesting they acquired Cabbage because, like Amex traditionally, I don't think they've done a good job necessarily serving small businesses because they really only want like they want the corporate card business. They want that business where you've got like dozens of corporate cards out there that you need to manage and roll it all up. And I always found like it was hard to get one card from them for a business. Like you'd be better off going to like one of the other banks. And they also have a love hate with the small businesses because they kind of have their small business shop Saturday, but at the same time, the small, but they charge what? Three, oh yeah. Their fees are percentage more, right? Yeah. They charge way more for fees. The fees are ridiculous. So it's like not very small business friendly. Yeah. So well, they, sorry, they're launching a bank and then um, there's another one, Novo. So Novo is another neobank for SMBs. They uh, raised $41 million. And what's interesting about their service is they're, they're saying that they're different from everybody else, from all the other neobanks, because they're focusing on small business from the point of view of running a small business. And what they mean by that, they're assume most small business owners, before they even get their bank account, they're already using seven or eight other apps. You know, Intuit knows this. Everybody knows this, right? The average, how many apps people are using in their business. So they're going to bring in all those apps into the bank account. 
So like the goal, right, of, we've talked about this, the banks, they want to keep people on the bank website, in the bank app. That's why they're adding these other features. So now Novo's taking this to this next level where, hey, we're going to have your bank account information in here. We're going to offer some, you know, basic functionality you need to run your business. But not only that, all your other apps, data that's in your other apps, we're going to pull those into our, our, our drag and drop dashboard as well. In a way, these are all plays for eyeballs. Even if you go back to Expensify's thing, this is to keep you in that app. Yeah. Right. Don't go somewhere else to do things. Do it all in the app. It, it's on that march to super apps. You know, we'll see. It's a, it's another strategy. And then the last one is Unit. Now, Unit is a little bit more of a um, banking as a service platform. So you just mentioned this, right? If you want to, there's APIs to create a bank account. So Unit just raised $51 million. $51 million. So if we wanted to tomorrow spin up Cloud Accounting Podcast app, you get our app and use our bank account. We could use their APIs to build a bank account. And they're over at unit.co. The headline is Build Banking in Minutes. Grow revenues and delight your customers by building financial features into your product. So this is this is what's going to power every app having a bank account built into it now. Interesting. Yeah, every app's going to be a GL. Every app's going to have a bank account. And every app's going to have payroll. Like, oh, this is not going to be confusing. <laughs> this is not going to be confusing at all. <laughs> well, think about what I don't... The one thing I think about as things go to these super apps... And I even got into discussion. Let's talk about like Zoho Books, mm-hmm. right? There comes a point where an accounting firm can only support so many platforms. Yeah. And you're going to have to standardize. It's much easier to standardize on an individual service that you can apply to all your clients. Because you can't, if you have, unless you're in a super, you're in a niche and all your clients are in the same super app for that niche, mm-hmm. you can't support 17 oddball different payroll functions across. No. 25 no. different apps. No, so you cannot. Is this going to be where these companies are going to add this and then accountants are going to go into the preferences and just turn it off and then use whatever payroll service and then use whatever bank account service and use whatever GL? I think, yeah, it's, it's tough because when clients come to you and they've already set up this stuff, then you have to decide, do I rip it out and put in my preferred stack or do I just live with it? And that's a really, really difficult choice now, just with the GLs. Imagine when it's a bunch of other stuff too. And, and the ironic part about this is people have, for the last few years have been complaining about app fatigue. There's too many apps to know. There's too mm-hmm. many apps to learn. There's too many apps to do this. And everybody thought the answer was this consolidation of apps into one super app. But really, in a way, for, especially for accounts and bookkeepers, that's going to be worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's going to be harder because... A lot of times those apps, when they do everything, they don't talk with other stuff. So it's hard to get your data out of there. And apps that do everything tend not to do anything really great. So then you're going to have a client that like, yeah, the next two years is going to be messy. It's making my head hurt. We can move on. It'll be be something like you're using, the the client comes in and they're using Expensify for their payroll. And then they hire somebody in New York City and Expensify can't do the local New York City tax thing. So then what do you do, right? Then you got to. You get a separate payroll product just for that one employee. Yeah, like this is going to be more work for accounts and bookkeepers. So this is great, everybody. Lots of work is coming. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's ironic because everybody like has been on this bet that this unification of apps into one app is the route. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's going to make the world any simpler. It might make it worse. Lots of work for us, David. And that's why the CPA evolution model now has information (laughs) technology in it. Hey, let's talk about Gusto. I was mentioning Gusto in the context of Expensify Payroll. Gusto has made its very first acquisition ever, buying Ardius to expand into R&D tax credits. 
This was reported in TechCrunch last week, and it's seeking, the acquisition is seeking to solve this R&D tax credit problem that startups have, that businesses that are investing have, where they they can save a ton of money by claiming this credit, but there is a lot of stuff you got to do right in order to get it. And so Ardius automates that. It helps you figure out the documentation. You've got to have payroll documentation of what people are doing in order to claim the R&D tax credit. You got to prove they're doing research and development. It'll be stored in Gusto's system of record. They currently have an integration right now, and now they're just bringing it you know, in tighter it, together. This makes sense because I think in general, I mean, unless you're actually out outlaid expenses in general most r&d is just human yeah and if, if you're a payroll company you have the human data that would make this makes a lot of sense and it's a really easy sell to startups when you say come on to our payroll platform we're going to save you far more in r&d tax credits than it's going to cost you to run payroll on our platform and i love that sales pitch and i think accounting firms should use that too whenever you can try to find a way that you can save a particular type of business money. And you can always say, look, my fees are covered by how much money I'm going to save you. So it's a, you can't lose, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to actually save money from hiring me. And there's a lot of money in the, I think all these apps don't have, they're all these apps that help you get the R and D credits. None of them have a monthly fee. They take a percentage of what you save. Right. Which, which is actually a great model. I mean, it's a value price model, but it's also, it makes the app earn its money from you're not just paying a monthly subscription. The app's really, truly saving you money. I wonder how Gusto is going to do this pricing. Like it would be awesome if they just made this part of their offering because now they're basically giving people this R&D tax credit service and they're locking in a customer for 10 years, right? Payroll is super sticky. So I don't know what their actual um, lifetime value is or you know how long their average customer stays, but I imagine payroll has got to be really sticky because nobody wants to change payroll if they don't have to. Such a hassle. And we know that zero, I think zero has like seven years. I wonder what Intuit is. Probably, probably similar. Hey, I've got a story about Intuit. Speaking of the giant behemoth that created QuickBooks, they're not being very kind to our friends down under, I'm afraid. Do you remember QuickBooks acquiring Trade Gecko? Yes, about uh, eight months ago. They acquired, and then instantly rebranded it and then spun up the site like two weeks later. I think that it completely rebranded pretty fast. So yeah, Trade Gecko in the US is now a tab in QuickBooks Online. And I think it's QuickBooks Commerce is the name of it. And there was a question in both of our minds when this happened as to what would happen with Trade Gecko? Will it go the way of T-Sheets where it just disappears and becomes QuickBooks branded and people are sad and they... You know, then then they move on. Well, it's not looking great for the folks in Australia, New Zealand, anywhere other than the United States. QuickBooks is sunsetting QuickBooks Commerce, which was formerly known as TradeGecko. They're turning it off in 12 months. And they notified all of their users about this. They're just they're gonna stop accepting new users, new customers for the product immediately. That's done. You can't sign up for TradeGecko anymore. And June 10th, 2022, they're going to turn it off completely. It will not be available. And there's no, <laughs> they're not offering anybody any other solution. It's just like, go find something else. And I, I just, that that makes me upset. I feel like after it happened immediately, they, they shut it down from zero immediately in 
the other markets. But now they're completely oh, they, killing it. I'm, I'm trying to go back to a thread that was on LinkedIn about this. Yeah, they turned off the zero integration, right, for new customers. But you could still sign up for it and use it with, you know, as a standalone product. Now you can't anymore. So it's just one of those like negative, uh, you know, experiences. Like when when an app gets acquired, you always worry that this is going to happen. When HubDot got acquired by Zero, you wonder, are they going to turn it off? Are they going to shut it down eventually and just roll the stuff into Zero? That kind of sucks for people who are using it with another GL system, right? It's just it's a negative consequence of the consolidation. Which which is the big risk where when companies acquire their companies and you know the op- openness is not always so open and this is not just in our space with QuickBooks and Zero yeah. et cetera it's 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 with all platforms in general um, Spot I mean Spotify is doing this with podcasts right they're 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 they acquired Anchor and if you create a podcast with Anchor you don't even get an RSS feed anymore so it's not even a podcast it's just a Spotify it's just on show. Spotify and, oh, wow. and they, so they're shutting down even like web standards never mind shutting down a company you acquired so it's it's happening across the board in different industries and it's very dangerous. Right. Uh, it's much better world when apps talk to each other and apps play nice. And here's what doesn't make sense to me about this. Intuit has been making a big push for the Australia market. They've been discounting QuickBooks there. They've been really trying to go after zero in their basically what's you know home turf for them. And doing this does not build any goodwill. The the email comes from QuickBooks and you're saying, sorry, we're shutting this down. Like would I would you trust QuickBooks now if you're an Australian user of any of you know their solutions, and I think isn't Trade Gecko based out of Singapore? So they're already in that Asian Pacific region already, and that's yeah, they were big there. That's also what's terrible about this. They probably got lots of users now who have to scramble. Now, are they shutting down the standalone product, but you can still use QuickBooks Commerce built into QuickBooks? You cannot even use it unless you're a U.S. customer. They're only doing. They're only going to offer QuickBooks Commerce for U.S. Which makes sense, but given how difficult you know the tax stuff is, I don't understand. I, it, there has to be a reason, but it's not very obvious to me. Um, just looking on LinkedIn, people are not; they seem to be dumbfounded as well. So, David, we got lots more that we could talk about, as always. But it is Monday morning. And- I get an example of one though of a company that did the right way to communicate and did the right thing. If we want to touch on that quickly, oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, fastly uh, about. It feels like the week flew. Maybe 10 days ago, the internet everywhere was kind of broken. And the reason it was broken is because of the um, what content delivery network. Is that what CDN? CDNs? Yes, CDN. yes, CDNs. There was a big CDN that went down for like almost an hour. And a CDN is basically if I have a video I want to stream from some website, instead of me streaming it from the original server halfway around the world, there's regional storage of that video that's close by to get it faster. So they had a, an outage on June 8th and this outage just brought down tons and tons of major websites, major, major websites. And it turns out it was because like, there was a bug and then one customer did one setting on one preference and it just brought down the system. <laughs> and But they're getting a lot of kudos because they just handled it the right way. And there's an email. This is the Senior Vice President of Engineering and Infrastructure. Um, he sends a senior email. This is on June 8th publishing this, you know, real times are talking about this. And he just was very frank about it. He said, the ad was broad and severe. We're truly sorry for the impact to our customers and everyone else who relies on them. There was no hiding 
you know, behind messages. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. this article is great because it talks about stuff we brought up before, like when they say things like, oh, partial outage, a subset of our users, right? Um, hiding the status page or only updating it, you know, if the if the outage is more than 15 minutes, like mm-hmm. don't report small outages, right? Uh, and then blame it on a misconfiguration, right? Nobody owns, right, the, the mistake. And they just owned it. And hopefully other apps listening. And we've talked about, I mean, this happened to everybody, right? Zero's had it. QuickBurst had it. Sage's had it. Everybody's had their share of things being down and out. Yep. And the best way to communicate it is to just own it and communicate honestly, because that's what drives people most nuts. Like I can't log in and then they get half-ass answers. I still can't log in. Uh, oh, it only, it only happens to some of our users, but then every person that's online is communicating with each other and they're pretty sure it's all users. Just yep. Take the lesson here and just treat people the right way. Fastly did it, and it actually might hurt them because they're. I'm sorry, it might help them. They're actually headed towards an IPO, and they went from a company that didn't exist to a company that a now everybody knows exists. And not only that, people are impressed with the way they handled this situ- this massive, massive, stressful situation. And it's not just a lesson for developers. I think if you own a firm, you want your staff. And, and I've made mistakes with my firm. And whenever I owned up to it and was honest with the client and said, this is what happened, this is what we're doing to fix it, always, always a much better outcome than if you try to hide it. Like you, you lose trust if you try to hide stuff. Just be honest, be forthright. Uh, maybe you lose a client, but it's better to be upfront and honest about it and say how you're going to make it right. And, and you might even build a stronger relationship. Yeah, the article talks about that. You know, if, uh, if you can provide more than 90% transparency, and people can see that. This is how you start building customers for a decade. Now we'll wrap up. Let's get uh, let's get a start on our week. Thanks everyone for listening, David. Where can they find you online if they want to connect well, with you? Hopefully, the easiest way you'll be in Vegas at the Bookkeepers Conference BKX, and you come and see me there. But if not, you, I'll settle for online this week. Um, I'm on all the socials at David Leary. If you're on LinkedIn, just say I'm not a bot, so I know you're not a bot. I'm a big fan of Twitter. Find me at Blake T. Oliver and follow me so you can stay up on the latest breaking accounting technology news. Until next week, have a great time at the conference and uh, I'll see you soon enough as well. Bye, everyone. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Rod Drury calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. 
It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.